0: But we're going to be reading from uh, Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1 through 2a, the very beginning there. So, will you, uh, will you read that with me? Leviticus, if, it's in your, if you have a Bible, it's the third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Here we go. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, All right, will you pray with me? God, thank you for this night. Thank you for your grace to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to um, see your word clearly, that you would help us, Lord, to um, know you, and that we might be able to see Jesus even from uh, this text here tonight. Lord, we come from all over the map, and some of us know you. Some of us have uh, walked with you for uh, a long time. Others of us are not sure what to make of you. We may have um, grown up in the church, uh, and we've been jaded by it. We've been burned by it, or we've been burned by other people. And so we're, we're kind of hanging on by thread, if we're honest. Others of us, Lord, uh, we don't know the first thing to make of you. We just came with a friend here tonight, and we're kind of wondering what you're all about. And so we ask that you, Lord, wherever we're at, that you would open our eyes and that we would see uh, Jesus tonight. Would you do this, Lord, because you're good and you're kind, because you love your people? It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, we uh, are looking at the book of Leviticus. And uh, I know that sounds crazy, uh, but let me just kind of set the stage a little bit. If you joined us last semester with RUF, um, you know that we talked about relationships. But that was actually not our norm. What we normally do is sort of pick, we pick a book of the Bible... And we go through it and teach through it. And so this year, we're going to, or this semester, we're going to be looking in particular at this Old Testament book of uh, Leviticus. We say here at RUF that we really want this to be a place where you, uh, no matter what you believe, that you can come and learn about Jesus and about what the Scriptures say. But, if we're honest, we have to say this, and that is that not all parts of the Bible are that easy to understand. And when it comes to the book of Leviticus, we're kind of looking at the problem child of the Bible. This book might be the most hardest, most the hardest (laughs) to understand, and uh, it really does worth. uh, It really is uh, worth asking. You know, uh, hey, is is this guy? I mean, is he crazy? You know, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, women, keep your kids away from that guy, check his meds or something, because, you know, why would we look at a book of Leviticus here on this college campus? Well, here's why I think that's actually a fair question to ask. You see, if you grew up in church, or if you didn't, there are several questions that you would have, perhaps, about the book of Leviticus, I want to address some of those here on the outset, and see if you find yourself either resonating with them or if you've heard them before. Um, I was uh, having lunch or having breakfast this morning with a student. I won't tell you who it is, but his name ends with Wersh. and uh, I was talking with him, and uh, I told him that I was. Did you like that, Lindsay? was a little late, but I, it was good. It's good, good. Um, that uh, we, I told him when I was preaching on, he went, "Oh." You got to be kidding me. Uh it's so bad and boring. And I said, "You know what? You you're probably you're actually kind of right." Um you know, if you if you have a Bible plan that you read through, you know what I'm talking about? Uh Leviticus is the place that Bible reading plans go to die, okay? <laughs> that's just that's just the way it goes. You just kind of stop reading your Bible when you see that. You see, for many like this student who I won't name, um w- w- you know, when when you read the book, it's just hard to understand because, because, of the, because it's a law. I mean, think about this. When's the last time that uh, you were on the beach, the ocean's waves were lulling you to sleep, and then you were reading the code of federal regulations? <laughs> no, you don't do that. You don't read the law. By the way, if that's sort of your cup of tea, you can do that at summer conference, I'm just saying. So... Um, <laughs> But it's, it's hard. It's hard to understand. Secondly, uh, you'll also find Christians saying something like this. You know, I'm a New Testament Christian who believes in a New Testament God. That God of the Old Testament. Eh, he's a bit dodgy. He's full of anger and wrath. But in the New Testament, we get that friendly guy named Jesus. So, it's often reasoned that the Old Testament, therefore, is dismissed as not as important Or not as binding in the life of a Christian. Have you ever heard something like this? Not uncommon at all. But I do think though. That sometimes the strongest and most forceful critiques. Come to Leviticus. From sort of outside of Christianity. You can go on the web. And just Google the book of Leviticus. And uh, you'll find something like this. This idea that. Uh, Leviticus promotes this idea of cosmic child abuse. goes something like this. You Christians, you can't seriously take all of that blood stuff seriously, right? I mean, sacrifice, atonement through blood, it's so gory. It's so reprehensible. It's so, it's so dated and primitive. Surely you cannot believe such a thing. You see, if you were, it would only promote social and psychological problems, so we sort of have to abandon that idea. But I think the hardest of all critiques, the hardest of all objections to come, is uh, leveled uh, against the book because of uh, an inconsistency in the way that it's read. See if you've heard this one before. Um, it's the biggest problem when it comes to the idea of sexuality. Yes, Leviticus talks about our sexuality. Uh, it, and especially as it relates to the idea of homosexuality. Listen to what it says. You might have heard somebody say this. Um, you Christians, uh, you, you believe that Leviticus condemns homosexuality here in the text. Well, uh, you do know, right, that in the same book, it is forbidden to eat pork and to wear clothes of mixed fabrics Christians don't seem to have a problem with cotton polyester blends or eating a barbecue pork shoulder if you're from Memphis. OK So why so hold, hold so tightly to this homosexuality thing? It seems like you're picking and choosing what to follow and what not. So have you ever heard anything like this? It's there. So I actually say this: that Leviticus is not an unproblematic book it has serious challenges to be dealt with if we want to understand it. In sum, it has been a book that most Christians see as irrelevant and most non-Christians, if they know the Bible at all, view it as a ha, gotcha at your own game sort of book. Or at worst, it's extremely hateful or bigoted. In sum... In sum, it's no small task to look at this book with any sort of seriousness whatsoever. So, so before you decide in this moment, sweet, my Wednesday night's just freed up, because <laughs> I'm not going back to RUF for the rest of the semester, can I suggest something to you that maybe, just maybe, there might be a way to make sense of this book? After all, the psalmist says this about the law of God. Listen to what the psalmist says here. Turn your eyes up to the screen. The psalmist says this about the law, the law of God. He says this. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I'll just ask you, do you think of the law that way? It's that delightful Moreover, do you think of the law this way? Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. That's what the scriptures are saying about the law, which is Leviticus. is a part of that. Maybe there are other things to learn that you and I don't already know that would make this book more understandable. But not only understandable, perhaps even delightful to learn. So that's what we're going to look at this semester And if we can learn something about God's wonderful, God's bountiful love in this book, it would stand to reason that there might be something to have and to learn from all of the Scriptures. That is my hope, at least. So, you see, I think Leviticus addresses some of the most pressing questions that you as college students wrestle with, even today. Questions like this. Are you ready? Who am I? Like... Why am I even here? What the heck is so wrong with the world that we live in today? And is there any hope for it to be made better? You see, all of those questions uh, uh, Leviticus addresses in spades. Moreover, what does God actually think of me? Why are my relationships so frayed and fractured? And what do I deal with, do with the exhaustion that seems to come with my life? Do you find yourself resonating with any of those questions? Because if so, I'm telling you, Leviticus is the book for you. So each week, we're going to try to spell this out and to learn something uh, as we go throughout the semester. So how in the world then are we going to get into sort of understanding this book of Leviticus? Well, I think that these three things that I'm about to mention are going to be essential if you want to find the gold and if you want to taste the honey that comes out of the book of Leviticus. And they are this. First, we need to remember the story. Next, we need to recognize the ritual. And lastly, we need to see the substance in the shadows. I'll say those again. We need to remember the story. We need to recognize the ritual. And then thirdly, we need to see the substance. In the shadows. So what do I mean by remembering the story? Remembering the story. Well, I want you to understand that the book of Leviticus, y'all, doesn't stand off in a corner somewhere. That it has this historical context. And it is actually part of a bigger and broader story. In fact, it is the story of God's grace on display to His people. You'll notice the text says there that the Lord called Moses And spoke to him. And this assumes really a whole narrative that precedes it. So if you were to go back in your Bibles and read of Genesis and then move into Exodus, this is what you'll find. In that book before, in the book of Exodus, you'll notice how the book actually ends. Remember with me, God has uh, delivered his people out of slavery and bondage after 400 years in Egypt. He's delivered them out. They've gone through the Red Sea. They are now at the base of a mountain called Mount Sinai, and Moses, the leader of the people, goes up to the mountain and meets with God. Then Moses comes down the mountain, and what does he find? He finds the people worshipping a calf, something they should never have done, a golden calf. Moses is furious. He goes back up the mountain, and then God gives him a series of instructions. He gives them instructions about the tabernacle there at the end of the book of Exodus. And then we get right into the book of Leviticus. Listen, why do I share that story with you? This is why. Because when Exodus ends, it's telling us how. It tells us where, rather, God would dwell with His people. And that is in this big tent-like structure called the tabernacle, as I mentioned. But the burning question after reading Exodus, when you get done with it, listen, is not so much where God will dwell with His people, but how. How in the world will God dwell with His people? Their sin was a big problem for closeness with God. And Leviticus deals with this question. One uh, once, uh, scholar who I was, had the privilege of studying under at Covenant Seminary, Jay Sklar, he puts it best when he says this, How in the world can the holy and pure King of the universe dwell among His sinful and impure people without His holiness melting us? That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. That's the question that it seeks to address. And if that's true, there are several implications. First, I want you to see this. I want you to see that even though Leviticus is a book of law, it is always, always preceded by grace. Let me say it another way. I want you to see that rescue, that deliverance always comes before rules. You could say that rescue comes before rules. And if that's true, if that is actually true of the book of Leviticus, what that means for you and me is this, that the way to have relationship with the God of the Bible is not by keeping a code of ethics. It's not by being a moral person. It's not by doing really, really good in school and keeping your parents happy with you. None of those are the ways that God enters into relationship with people. No. He looks at messes. He looks at people who can't get it together. So is that you? I mean, be honest for a moment. Here we are. We're three days into school. Where do you notice already you're not been, you've not been the person that you want to be? How was your break? I mean, how was it? Do you look back on it and go, man, I wish it never would have happened. Leviticus addresses that. It's going to tell us how. It's going to speak all about God's grace to sinful, messy, broken people. Listen, I want to suggest this for you as well. One campus minister, uh, a former campus minister by the name of Les Newsom, he notes that several of us, if you have grown up in the church, if you've grown up around the Bible, if you've called yourself a Christian, that one of the things that you will wrestle with undoubtedly, indubitably, will be when you come to the book of Leviticus, you will want to make Leviticus mean what you want it to mean instead of letting it be on its own terms. And so I want to suggest to you this for this semester. Maybe, maybe it would be good for you to come to RUF to actually grow and deepen your faith. Here's, what, here's why. Have you ever considered that maybe some of the real problems in your life Come from a weak and flimsy faith. I mean, really. Have you ever considered that? Come to Leviticus. Go deep with us. Burrow deep and learn of the deep riches, of the deep gold, of the sweetness of the honey that is in this book. There's a story of grace preceding all of these rules. And that is very important for you and for me. Anybody reading Leviticus knows that this context is one thing. But, what about the details of Leviticus itself? Especially with all those bits about ritual. I mean, have you ever read it? You're like killing animals left and right. You've got all these codes that like, you're clean and you're unclean. I mean, what is up with all of that ritual? Well, that's where I want to turn next when I suggest to us that the uh, the next thing that we need to see is that we need to recognize the ritual. I feel like a rapper from like 1996 or something saying you need to recognize um anyways here we go over again again in leviticus we see these ritual events and codes that throw us for a loop if you actually read the text i mean here they are ready don't eat shellfish don't eat shrimp clams are out can't have them right uh bring a male cow to sacrifice not a female one not a heifer Okay? Uh, what about this one? This is There's codes for how to actually make... Are you ready for this? Not a person clean, but a house clean. What? Are you kidding me? What's that all about? Okay? So, I mean, it's all there. All of these make very little sense to the vast majority of us. It seems weird at best, or empty and hollow at worst. So, what's going on with all this ritual? Well... Let's take this. Let's think about this for just a moment. How are we going to deal with the ritual that is all throughout, all throughout the book of Leviticus? Well, I think it would be very, very easy to sort of look back at that day and age and say, "Yeah, we're not a ritualized people anymore." Those people back then—they're so dadgum primitive. They had to do stuff like that, but we have progressed leaps and bounds such that we don't need ritual anymore. Well. Uh, I just want to ask you, uh, what about weddings? Some of you, in a few months, will actually be walking across the stage. There will be a ritual there. That ritual is called graduation. You'll be handed a piece of paper. You'll celebrate that. You see, I actually suggest to you that uh, there is ritual everywhere. On the contrary, we still get ritual very much you, vo- you go to vacation spots at the exact same place every summer. Are you ready for this? You get, this is, I mean, this is probably, this might be some of you, so chill out. I'm not really mad at you. I just think it's funny. Uh, you get Christmas pajamas every single year, right? That's a ritual. So don't tell me, right, that, that we're not a really ritualized people anymore. You say, oh, okay, okay, Ryan, fine. I will grant to you that, uh, that, yes, there is some ritual in my life. But, but here's the thing. They ritualized weird things. Okay, yeah, and your Christmas PJs aren't weird, right? Okay, so I mean seriously, think about it like this. Imagine if somebody came back, came into the future from that time, day and age, and they adjoin you and your friends to go sit at a restaurant and watch Kelly Whoever Kelly is, they put in front of you this massive pile of cooked eggs, flour, butter, and sugar. Then, they put more butter and sugar on the outside of it, light it on fire, and as if that isn't enough, let's all sing to Kelly and watch her blow the fire out. (laughs) Why? Because she happened to turn this rando age of 21. Right? Yeah, you don't ritualize weird things at all. You see, your cultural context, you think what you ritualize is not weird, but put yourself in another culture from another time and another day and age. And the, the everyday things of our life that we ritualize are then seen as foreign and as weird. Listen, here's what I want to leave you with. We ritualize what we most value in life. You can underscore that. You can bold it. You can write it down. You will ritualize what you most value in life. Think about weddings. Think about birthdays. Think about graduation. By the way, that quote is right there if you need to write it down. When I say that we need to recognize the ritual, I want us to see that despite its apparent strangeness, ritual is something that we identify with readily. And in the end, rituals, listen... Rituals are practices that set apart events or times as very valuable and special. That rituals are practices that set apart events and times as valuable. And that's what's happening in the book of Leviticus. But it's something that I think we readily identify with. Think about it like this. Um... You know, I've said this before, but um, you know that on every every hour here at TCU, what happens? I know. Bells go off, and what is it? It's your alma mater, right? Now, listen. Let's just think about this for just a second. You hear every hour, if you're on this campus at high, the top part of the hour, that um, that, that song that is aimed, are you ready, is aimed at shaping you and making you a lover of TCU and its culture. So that when you sing it at the end of a game with your arms raised high and your frog fingers up, you are showing, you are being further shaped by the fact that you love TCU so much so that you love TCU so much so that you'll spend $425 to go to the Peach Bowl of that hard-earned money. Because you love it. Now listen. All I'm trying to say is, that's not a bad thing, but I'm showing you that the practices that you participate in, are you ready? The rituals that you perform are not neutral. They shape you. They form you. And they form you into one person or another. Now listen. Think about that for just a moment. If that's really the case... I want you to see that the book of Leviticus, in the midst of those rituals, those rituals are actually trying to shape you. They're trying to shape me into something. What is that? Here it is. Are you ready? God gives us Leviticus because He wants His people's hearts to be shaped to love Him more. He gives us those practices so that we might be shaped to love Him more. Just like you're shaped to love TCU more. Through practices. But here's the thing. He longs for His children to reflect His character in so doing. That is what those rituals are all about. Yes, the rituals have changed, but the principles from these rituals still remain. Perhaps one of the ways, y'all, that God wants to grow you this semester is just by coming here every Wednesday night and submitting yourself to that ritual such that you would learn about God and His grace here in the book of Leviticus. You see, all of life gets dealt with in the book of Leviticus. Your sexuality, your jobs, what you do with busted relationships, what you do with your rest, how do you care for your neighbors, what does God really think of me? All of these things get that God is trying to shape you on here in this book. That's why I think this book is so incredibly important. Let's take a look at one last thing. I want you to see... Lastly, that you have to see the substance in the shadows. Now that's going to sound very, very awkward and weird until we read something. We'll go there in just a minute. But I want you to see all along, all along Leviticus has been pointing a finger. It's been doing this. It's been pointing a finger, finger to something amazing. And if you read Leviticus through all of the meticulous details, you're often left wondering, Golly, what is the point of all this stuff? What is the point? What are all the sacrifices? What are the priests? What are the food laws and the festivals? The laws for keeping Sabbath? What do they have to do with me as a Christian? And I want to say this. One word. Everything. Everything. Why? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. In Colossians chapter 2, he says this Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. There's your meals in regard to a festival. There's those uh, feast of booths, the feast of tabernacles, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Here it is. Ready? They are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So do you see this? Listen. That what lies in the shadows is a substance called Christ. That what lies behind all of those sacrifices is Christ. That the whole book of Leviticus is about Christ. And when you view the New Testament in mind that Christ has come in the flesh, you begin to see Leviticus as it was meant to be read. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense? Okay, that number is decreasing the older I get. Thank you for making me feel old. Um, Okay, well, you need to rent it. But here's the point. Um, If you've ever seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. You remember the first time you saw it? You, uh, You didn't know the ending. But when you got to the end, you went, oh, man, no way, no way. And then what happened the next time you saw it? You saw it in an entirely different light. Because you knew the end of the story. The same principle applies to Leviticus. The end of the story has been told to you all. That there is a man named Jesus. That He has come. That He has bled and died. That He has risen from the grave for your good. And that has everything to do with the book of Leviticus. This means, y'all, this. Listen, it means that you cannot pull the Testaments apart and sort of say, I'm going to be a New Testament Christian and I don't give a rip about the Old Testament. Eh, not going to work, says the Bible. Secondly, listen, do you realize you won't understand the New Testament apart from the book of Leviticus? That's a bold claim, but listen. Listen to me. What about that woman? Do you remember her? Ladies, hang with me. Imagine being on your period for 12 years straight. That's in the Bible. Now imagine why she wanted to reach out and touch Jesus. Because she was unclean for 12 years. She could not worship in the temple. She reaches and touches his He is. She is healed. She is made clean. That only makes sense if you know this book. What about the man in Matthew chapter 8? Jesus has been up on the Sermon on the Mount. He's a leper. He's got skin diseases like crazy. Jesus walks past him, and listen to what he says. He says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me not. You can heal me. You can fix all my problems. But he says this, you can make me clean. It only makes sense if you know the book of Leviticus. You see, what about that whole book of Hebrews that we're going to be studying? You can't understand it unless you know this book because that was the grid work that these writers are thinking through and writing through. And lastly, Dr. Sklar, who I've already mentioned, he goes on and says this, and I agree with him 100%. Are you ready for this? He actually has the boldness to say this. You will not understand what Jesus is actually doing on the cross if you don't understand what's happening in the book of Leviticus. Boom. That's a hammer, y'all. Because what he's saying is, is that you cannot separate your knowledge of the cross apart from the book of Leviticus. So in the end, if we will remember the story, if we will recognize the ritual, if you'll see the substance that Christ is there in the shadows revealing and bringing more light, you will see that Leviticus is telling us and, at, and all of this is this. Right? You'll see that Leviticus is showing us this that to be close to God is incredibly costly. It's incredibly costly. Last night, at about 3.30 in the morning, my sweet daughter, Evangeline, began to cry. So I woke up, I went into her room, she told me, rock, rock, daddy, rock, rock. And so I picked her up, and I rocked her back to sleep. (coughs) Then, as I was walking out of her room, her twin sister, Audrey, began to cry too. shoot me. (laughs) Yes, I get angry at my children. Uh, So I picked her up and rocked her too. And when it was all said and done, it was about 4.30 in the morning before I went back to bed. I love my daughters, but it cost me good sleep to be close to them. But since they are mine, I gladly bear the cost, the loss of sleep, to express my love for them. Leviticus shows us that intimacy between God and man is costly. It always is. But the one thing the book of Leviticus screams at us, y'all, is this, that it's not us who pays the cost. Rather, it's God. You see, sin is a big problem for man. But let me tell you who else, who else sin is a problem for. Sin is a problem for God. Why? Because He's just and holy. And because He's so incredibly, infinitely loving. And so He's got to find a way to keep those two intact while still saving you. That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. You see, here is what He does. He cannot dwell with the sinful people. So, to pay for that sin... There has to be blood. But where will this blood come from? It doesn't come from you and me. No, it comes from God Himself in the person of Jesus. Listen to what Paul writes. This is beautiful. He says, this, that gum I didn't put it on the slide. Um, he says this that Christ loved us and gave us up, gave himself up for us as what? An offering and a sacrifice to God. Do you see Leviticus? It's right there. It's, the Gospel is, is all throughout it. Closeness with God is costly because God in the flesh paid with His blood for our sin. The death that our sin deserved, Jesus gladly underwent. And the life that He merited and deserved, we freely receive. Hallelujah. This is good news. And it's all by grace. And Leviticus tells us all about it. Come this semester. Come. Come learn. Come bring your friends. And come learn about the wonderful grace that really is in this book. Let's pray.